Psalm 24, beginning in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the, Lord, of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O, o ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Matthew chapter 5, turn your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can use a black pew Bible. It's page 962, Matthew chapter 5. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in the Beatitudes. And as Blake said, these are the keys to the kingdom. These are the attitudes that ought to be. And, and Jesus, he, he doesn't pull any punches. He, he didn't hold anything back. He just gives it all to us right here, and he raises the standard for us. A standard we oftentimes we have for ourselves is far too low, and he raised a standard. And this is how a kingdom citizen should live, and this is what a kingdom citizen should look like. We've seen so far that we as believers should recognize and understand our our depravity, our our need for the Lord. We talked about being spiritual beggars and how as we understand that we're needy, we're not like Christ, we're rebellious. That leads us to brokenness. And that godly sorrow that we have leads to repentance. Once a sinner repents, he can approach God and man with meekness and gentleness. And this humility will lead to more progress as this humble saint who was declared righteous as he repents is now desiring for more righteousness. As we hunger to please God, to be like Him, we will be merciful, which means to feel compassion. Not just to feel compassion, but be actively compassionate. And then the progression continues today in verse 8. And I'm just going to read that one verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it mean today? Uh, several points. First point being, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, we can define that by saying what it doesn't mean. We often do that. I think it's helpful, especially today. To be pure in heart doesn't mean that we're sinless. We're perfect morally. It can't mean that, as God tells us if in John, 1 John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We know that in this life, with this flesh, we're not going to be completely, totally sanctified like Christ. We have the, the flesh and we have our sin nature still to uh, war with. And so, some would say that. Some say, well, you know, I, I believe that you can come to a point in your walk that you're like Jesus in every way, and it, even it's emotion and, and will, and, and you won't sin. 
Uh, I would disagree with that. I'm not, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. That's not what this means here, to be pure in heart. Also, it, it is, isn't necessarily speaking of outward appearance, of the outward appearance of purity. All along, Jesus has been addressing our hearts, and our hearts have been exposed. It's been painful, hasn't it? It's been a difficult study. It's been a good study, but a difficult study because it's... it's, it's um, as I study, I'm seeing my own heart and having to deal with my own sin and my own lack and my, and my need for sanctification. But Jesus says the blessed one is one who is pure in heart. Now in Jesus' day, some thought that outward appearances were most important. Some like the Pharisees would say, Blessed are the outwardly clean, for they shall see God. That's what they would say. But Jesus, what did he, what, how did he describe the Pharisees? He called them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look good. You've got it together. But on the inside, you, you're a dead man. Your heart's not right. The Israelites of the Old Testament, they had the same problem. God had chosen this people, the Israelites, for himself. And he set them apart. He did that in several ways. He had all the males circumcised. He had them eat uh, uh, certain foods, and some foods they would abstain from. He gave them his law and had told them to obey his law, and so he set them apart. And what he wanted to do is through the, the nation of Israel, he wanted to reveal himself to the nations. Of course, they were sinful, but God commanded them to make sacrifices that would allow them to, uh, allow them to approach God. But in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, after centuries of offering sacrifice, he says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the, bull, the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. And so here we have the people of Israel going through the motions, they've been circumcised. They, they're, they're keeping the food laws and they're making sacrifices day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out. But God says that he's tired of their sacrifices. Why is that? Because they're going through the motions. They were doing what God required on the outside, but their hearts were far from God. They were checking off the boxes, Right? They never killed anybody. They never stole anything. They never been arrested. They're still married to their first wife. I got it all together. But yet God told them through another prophet, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, he says, yeah, you might be outwardly circumcised, but he says, circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Yeah, you look like you've got it all together on the outside, but... Actually, your hearts are far from me. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? It's not uh, purity on the outside. It's not checking off the boxes. It's not doing your good deeds. Jesus says a kingdom citizen is one who is pure in heart. And when Jesus talks about the heart, what's he talking about there? He's talking about not just our emotion, not just our mind, not just our will. It's all of those things. It's who we are, right? And, and the, the, the Bible speaks often about the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We're told to guard or to keep our hearts with, with all vi vigilance. 
for from it flow the springs of life. The heart is who we are. It's who we are in a nutshell. And being pure in heart means to be sincere in our devotion to the Lord. Now, you can be sincere about many things and be sincerely wrong, right? Yeah, that we can be wrong about a lot of things. We can be sincere. I mean, you think about, I've seen many, um, on many times, many occasions at the, the Buddhist temple, the worshiper there burning incense and kowtowing very sincerely. And I, I wouldn't doubt that this person was very sincere, sincerely devoted to this false god, but they're, they're wrong. You can be sincere and, and be sincerely wrong, but purity of heart here in the Scriptures denotes a heart that does not bring mixed motives or divided, divided loyalties to its relationship to God. It's a heart of singleness and devotion to God, a, a pure, unmixed devotion, a sincere focus of heart on God to help and... and and ob the opposite, an antonym of pure in heart would be to be double-minded. James chapter 4, verse 8, warns against being double-minded. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The double-minded want the, the benefits of the world and the blessings of Christ also. It doesn't work that way, right? The double-minded is not sincere. Their devotion isn't pure. And, and just from... I was thinking of an example in everyday life. You ever talk to somebody? You're talking to someone, and you're, you're talking to them, and you're making eye contact with them. But then they're looking at you, but only partly. They look at you, but, but actually they're looking for someone else. And you're, you've got something you're trying to share. You're trying to share your heart. You're trying to share something that's going on in your life. And you're looking at them, but they're not looking at you. They look at you for a second, but then they're glancing. They're looking at someone else. That's the, the, the idea there, being double-minded. Are you like that in your devotion to the Lord? Yeah, 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 I want to be devoted to the Lord, but I've got all these other things going on. I'm distracted by the lust of the flesh, worldly, temporal things. Martin Lloyd-Jones paraphrased it this way. He says, Blessed are those who are pure not only on the surface but in the center of their being and at the source of every activity. Jesus says a kingdom citizen will be pure in heart and the one who is blessed is one who is pure in heart. And that, there's a problem with that statement or with that from the start when he says pure in heart because... What's the problem with us? Our hearts. Right? Our hearts are the problem. In fact, our hearts are the source of every bad in the world, right? The carnal heart is not pure. In Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ken Hughes, he quotes a Russian novelist, Ivan Turgenev, and he says, I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like. But I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. And we can't purify our hearts, can we? But God can. And because of Christ's work on the cross, he 
makes us, as we trust Christ, as we place our faith in, in Christ and His work on the cross as our own, we trust that He did that for us. What happens is God makes us pure judicially, right, at our conversion. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. What happens at, at conversion is we are positionally, judiciously, we are pure, we are righteous. And then what does God do? He begins to sanctify us. And that's where we are as we're living life. He, we're in the process of being sanctified. And God sanctifies us, makes us pure by the work of the Holy Spirit as we live our lives as believers. But he says, pure in heart. I want you to be pure in your devotion to the Lord. And I want you to be pure morally. I want you to obey me in every way. God demands a humanly impossible character and then he gives us that character by his grace. And that's what he's doing in our lives as, as, as we follow him, as we daily worship him, as we draw near to him every day. He sanctifies us and makes us pure. And then finally he will do it completely in the moment of our death as we are then purified from all evil and brought without spot into his holy presence. So my question today is, are you pure in heart? Do you have a single minded devotion to the Lord and then secondly are, are you seeking to be like Christ wanting to be pure and holy like the Lord a test to see if you're pure in heart a couple things let me just how is your focus are you devoted when you make a decision, do you first consult the Lord? We make decisions all day long, right? What are we are we going to have raisin bran or Rice Krispies for breakfast? Or am I going to get out of bed now or am I going to hit snooze? You know, we have all those kind of decisions. But when you make decisions, important decisions, do you consult the Lord? Are you... Think about the pay and the benefits and the this and the that. Matthew 6.33, we'll see this soon in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What well, do you do that? Do you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? When you make decisions, when you have things going on in your life, do you... Do you ask the Lord, Lord, what, what would you have me do? What do you think about this situation? That's one way to test is if you're pure in heart. Another, another test is what about your mouth? You know, your mouth is an indicator of your heart's condition. Do you know that? Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. How's your mouth? Does it indicate that you're pure in, in heart? Not only just are the things that you say, are they, are they righteous? Do they honor the Lord? But just the things that you say, what do you talk about? Someone who's pure in heart, someone who has a, a, a single devotion 
their allegiance is undivided. So when he says, Jesus is first in my life, we sang the song, Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Someone who's pure in heart would, would be able to say that. Jesus is my life. I seek him first. If someone is, is devoted to the Lord, the things they talk about will be about the kingdom. You won't spend a whole lot of time with them without them saying something about the, the word of God, the, the Lord, what he's doing in their life. So what about your, your mouth? Does it indicate that you are pure in heart? Another test is, is your money. How do you handle your money? How do you spend your money? How do you manage your money? Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How do you handle your money? How do you spend your money? It says a lot about your devotion, what, what you are devoted to. Yeah. Are we pure in heart? That's the, that's the standard. That's, that's the desire of Christ is that we be pure in heart. And what's the blessing? All of these characteristics that we should have are followed by a blessing. What's the blessing? It's they will see... God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that, I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Be able to see Him, right? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. The blessing of the pure in heart is they will see God. Hunter Redforce Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Who will see him face to face? Who will see the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear to see this. So the blessing is we'll see God. Well, that, that's something we can experience now. As believers, as kingdom citizens, we can see the Lord. Now, we know that 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it tells us that the, the, the enemy, Satan, has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. They can't see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. They can't see God for who he is. They can't see his worth. They can't see his, 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 his praiseworthiness. They can't see how wonderful he is. But we as believers, we can. We can see his footprints and his handprints in everything in nature and in the lives of those around us and in our life. Job 42.5 I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And we can see the Lord, can't we, at work. We can recognize Him working in our lives and in those in our, within our sphere of influence. And I, I see the Lord working in your life. There's many of you I see the Lord working in as you confess your sin, as you being sanctified as you're working on relationships, as you're getting involved in one another's lives and confronting each other with sin and, and encouraging one another. And as, and as you mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, I see the Lord working. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with 
unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are beholding the glory of the Lord. That's now, as we're being sanctified. We're seeing God at work. But this blessing is also one that's yet to be fulfilled. We see God now, but but to come we'll see the Lord. One day believers will see the Lord face to face. And as we have said, in that split second of recognition, believers will experience more joy than the sum total of accumulated joys of their entire life because we're going to see them face to face. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. That's going to happen one day. We're going to, in, in a moment, we're going to be with the Lord. We're going to see Him face to face. And then, and, and not until then, will the full meaning of these words, the pure in heart shall see God, be understood. Job 19, 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. So we will see the Lord. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, speaking of when we get to glory... But then, face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So this is a blessing of the pure in heart. Do you have a pure heart? Can you say you're, you're pure in heart? If so, you will. the blessing is you'll see the Lord. You'll see Him now and you'll see Him fully, completely in the in the days to come. The, the second attitude that ought to be today is verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Again, it's just a, a progression. If you're pure in heart, you're going to be a, a peacemaker. But it's, it's a progression. You have to have the one preceding it before you can have this attitude they proceed, the ones proceeding must be a characteristic, must be lived out, must be your attitude before the next. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And who are the peacemakers? Jesus, he's the prince of peace. So those following him should have lives characterized as peacemakers. But, you know, it's interesting, in our world, the world loves war. They know the world doesn't love war. Yeah, the, the world loves war and drama. And I think about this, um, I'm a sports fan, and, of course, now there's, there's no sports going on. So what, when you look on sports websites, what do you see? What comes up? The only thing that's going on now is, uh, is MMA fighting and UFC fighting. We, we love that, you know. It's like, yeah, the world loves war. They love to see two men get in a cage and just beat each other into submission. Yeah, the world loves war, loves drama, 
loves conflict. And you think about peace, there hasn't been peace since the fall. I mean, the only time there was peace on earth was in the garden before fall. And ever since, there's been no peace. And I mean, reality shows, I mean, good gracious, we watch reality shows, and a lot of those shows, what are they? It's, it's drama, and it's people fighting. In fact, we'll put them in a, uh, put them in a house and, and video them interacting with one another, knowing they don't really care for one another. And we love it. The world just loves it. We love to see drama. We love to see conflict. So what is a peacemaker? He says, blessed. The, the peacemaker is blessed, and we want to be blessed. And believers should be peacemakers. What is a peacemaker? Well, it's not one who does whatever it takes to keep from making someone mad. It's not the, the middle child who goes with the flow because they don't want to rock the boat. A peacemaker is not one who avoids conflict at all costs, like the parent who, and you're in the grocery store and there's a kid screaming. You know, every time they scream, you jerk because it's just shrill. And they're screaming because they want something, candy or da-da-da-da-da. And so you have the parent there in, in, in the grocery store, and you'll have them open the bag of chips and let them even start eating them before they pay for them just to shut the kid up. That's not what it means to be a peacemaker. It's not the parent of the teenager who, who doesn't want to withhold things from their teenager because they don't want to have a fight with their, their teenage brat. That's not what it means to be a, a peacemaker. In fact, Jesus says he didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Peacemaking always involves truth-telling. Peacemaking always involves truth-telling. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. What do you mean by that? Well, sometimes when you teach truth, you stand for truth, there's going to be conflict where even households are divided. But what is the gospel? The gospel of peace, it doesn't avoid sin in our lives, does it? What is the gospel? Part of the gospel is the bad news that we're depraved, sinful, rebellious people deserving of the wrath of God. So we have to confess and repent of our sin, and then and only then can we have true peace. And so what is a, what is a peacemaker? Sorry. A peacemaker is um, someone who helps sinners find peace with God. A peacemaker is someone who helps lost people hear the gospel. Yeah, the, the opposite of a peacemaker would be a, a troublemaker, someone who causes strife, discord, disunity, right? But a peacemaker is one who promotes peace, promotes reconciliation. Uh, like I said, first, firstly, Bryson, for, with those who are lost, helping them be at peace with God. But then, secondly, helping them get along with other people, help them reconcile. It's interesting as you read through the deeds of the flesh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. It, it, Paul gives us the deeds of the flesh. This is what it means to, to be in the flesh. And then he's going to give us the fruits of the Spirit. Well, the list of the deeds of the flesh has a lot of terrible things. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. You're like, yeah, that's, that's pretty weird. That's a deed of the flesh, right? And he mentions other things there, 
uh, like uh, drunkenness, orgies, and l- things like these. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's wicked stuff. That's deeds of the flesh. We, we get that. Drunken orgies, sorcery, all that kind of stuff. That's pretty wicked. Pretty easy to put that in the category of wickedness, deeds of the flesh. But, but in the middle of the list, I didn't read these for you, but the middle of the list, there's strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. That's all deeds of the flesh, characteristics of a troublemaker, someone who's not a peacemaker, right? Someone who likes drama. So a peacemaker helps people find peace with God, but also helps people be at peace with one another. We're running through this. This is like a flyby today because we're doing two Beatitudes in one week. We may try to supplement that this week with a video. A lot of things I'm skipping over here in my notes. But how to determine if you're a peacemaker or not? Because the peacemaker's blessed. And you want to be blessed. Just like the, the, the pure in heart are blessed. You want to be blessed. The pure in heart will see God. We want to see God. We want to be like Him. The peacemaker will be called sons of God. But how to determine if you're a peacemaker? Just another test, if you will. So we're finding what these things are, and we're test to see if we're, 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 we're there or not. Well, firstly, you're a peacemaker only if you are first at peace with God yourself, right? So are you, you at peace with God? You can't be a peacemaker if you're not at peace with God. God is the God of peace. The gospel is the gospel of peace. So how you've been reconciled to God, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So are you a born-again believer? You can't be a peacemaker if you're not born again. And that's a given, isn't it? Because the, the keys to the kingdom that you be poor in spirit and that you be broken over your sin, right? That confession and repentance comes. And then these other characteristics come after that. And, and second, te- second question in the test, whether you're a peacemaker or not, is do you share the gospel of peace? Again, a peacemaker is not someone who they see someone who's lost, who's separated from the Lord, at enmity with God, and they go, huh, I'm just going to let that thing slide. I'm not going to go there because that's just going to stir the pot and that's going to cause problems between in our relationship or whatever. So that's not what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker shares the gospel. Are you a gospel Share. Do you share the gospel? Are you an evangelist? And I'm not asking you, do you do that well? Do you do that confidently? I'm just saying, do you do that? Third question on the test, whether you're a peacemaker or not, is do you you find joy in the report of trouble and scandal? In other words, do you like drama? We're going on a retreat today, and we're taking the middle school and high school boys. So somebody says, man, you're going on a retreat. You excited about that? I goes, yeah, man, it's awesome. Our boys, they're easy. So what do you mean by easy? 
They listen to you, they obey. Yeah, yeah, they do. But they're just there's no drama there. They're just an easy group of kids, man. They don't they don't look to stir the pot or cause strife or Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Hang out with these boys. Are you critical? Are you omnicritical? Are you always fault finding? If so, and you like drama, you're probably not a peacemaker. Next question. Do you have a willingness to risk pain in pursuing peace? Are you willing to risk pain in pursuing peace? Are you willing to risk being misunderstood or risk making someone mad when you point out truth or rebuke them? See, being a peacemaker, it's, it's paradoxical. See, a, a peacemaker is a fighter. You think, what do you mean? A peacemaker is a fighter. See, there's, there's some, some battles worth fighting. The peacemaker is a fighter. He makes trouble in order to make peace. Instead of making, waging war, he wages peace. See, sometimes when we see a need... We see somebody that's lost. They're going to hell. They're separated from the Lord. What do we have to do? We have to share the gospel with them. We have to take risk because you know when you share the gospel, the gospel can be offensive to those who are perishing. So what happens? We share the gospel and some people don't like it. Some people get offended. Maybe that relationship will never be the same again. Do you risk pain in pursuing peace. Sometimes you're going to get, try to get involved in somebody's life and they're not going to want you in their business. You're going to go to the door, knock on the door, and you're going to hear the, the, the TV on and then the TV's going to shut off. And this happens. This happens to me. So I have to get on the phone. Hey, I know you're in there. I hear the TV. Open the door. I just want to talk. And I'm sending messages. You're a grown man. And I'm a grown man. This is pretty ridiculous. It happens. And that relationship's not the same. Unfortunately. And the temptation is just not to get involved. It's better just not to get involved. It's let it slide. Let it go. There's times where we have to do that, I suppose. But what's the Scriptures teach us? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 and 3. Paul, he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We, we studied this spring. We studied the book of Ephesians. We're to live like a Christian. What does that look like? Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Yeah, we need to be eager to, to be at peace with one another. Romans 14, 19, again, Paul says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul, there's, two sisters, Yodia and Seneki, and he says, he tells them to, I, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. And then he tells the Philippian believers, help these women. Help them be at peace with one another. 
Do you, do you pass the test? Are you a peacemaker? And what's the blessing if you're a peacemaker? For they shall be called sons of God. There's something godlike in bringing peace to people and people to peace. And that's what we're called to do as believers. Let's land the plane real quickly. How is your heart? Is your heart pure? Judicially, judicially are you, is your heart pure? Are you in right standing with God? Are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Have you repented and believed? Have you, how, how does Jesus, how, as Jesus' death on the cross impacted your life? How does God relate and respond to you? Is God your judge or is God your Savior? He's either one or the other. And then in your sanctification process, are you, are you have a single focus of heart in your devotion to the Lord? Are you, can you say Jesus is your life? And what he wants for me is what I want for me. And what he thinks about all things is what I want to think about all things. What he thinks about me is what is most important. Are you pure in heart? And are you a peacemaker? Do you point people to the Prince of Peace? Do you risk getting involved in, in order to help others reconcile? It's a messy business being a peacemaker. But the Lord calls us to do it. And when we do, we're blessed. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you are a wonderful Savior. Father, you, for so many of us here, you've called us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your Son, not because of anything we've done, but because you're gracious and merciful to us. And Father, for many of us, we've been, we've been poor in spirit. We, we see ourselves as a spiritual beggar, recognizing our depravity and our sin. And Father, we've been broken over our sin. Lord, that work you've done in our heart resulted in a godly sorrow and repentance. And Father, you've allowed us to be meek in our approach to you. We've been humble and gentle and also in how we approach others. Father, there's many here that you've changed our lives and we're now kingdom citizens and we're thankful. And Father, you've given us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and we want to obey you and want to please you. Father, you have helped us be merciful. Lord, we are compassionate and we're doing something about that. That compassion is moving us to minister to people who have need. And Father, you want us to be pure in heart. You want us to be devoted solely to you. 
You want us to be singly devoted to, to you. And Father, as we talked about these tests, I, I pray that you would do a work in all of us, me included. Father, if we're not pure in heart, that you would bring that to our attention. Father, search us, O oh God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us in the way of being pure in heart. And Father, for peacemaking, Lord, you want us to be peacemakers. You want us to be gospel sharers. You want us to intervene and, and get involved in people's lives. And Father, I pray that you would help us here at Beaver to be in each other's business, helping each other to follow heart after you. And Father, for, for those of us who are not pure in heart, those of us who are not peacemakers, Father, I pray that you would do a work in us. Because this is, this is the, the, the standard. This is the goal for us to be like you. Help us, Father. Give us grace to be more like you. And Father, for those that are here, those maybe watching that are, that are not a kingdom citizen, I pray that they would see their sin the way you see it. They would understand that they need you and that they're at enmity with you. And I pray that they would be brokenhearted. Father, do a work even today and may sinners repent. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.